0: Thank you. Our first reading, our uh, reading this morning, actually is uh, Peter's first letter. Uh, it's chapter two. We're going to read from. Now you'll find it in the Bible, towards the last pages of the Bible, of course. This book, page one double two one. If you'd like to follow it in your pew Bible, page one double two one. And it's the second. It's the first letter of Peter. We're going from chapter two and verses four to ten. Peter writes. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture, it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And may the Lord bless to us this reading from his holy word and to his name be praised.
1: As Mike said, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, the church, what the church is and what we should expect from it and how we can be a part of it. Uh, The passages that we're going to be looking at are all going to be up on the screen, so normally I would say, have your Bible open, but there's no need today. You'll be able to just look at them up on the television screen there, but I'm going to pray for us. Father, we want to thank you for the incredible privilege that we have of being part of our church, a part of this church, and we know that it has come because of what your Son has done for us in Jerusalem. Help us to be understanding of that. Help us to be clear in our minds as to who we are because of Jesus. And we pray that you'd help us as we look at your word this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's amazing how companies can change and evolve over time uh, just in order to stay in business. Uh, We tend to think of Nokia, we hear the name Nokia, we tend to think of mobile phones, not very good mobile phones, but we hear about Nokia mobile phones. Did you know that Nokia actually started out as a timber pulping company in the mid-1800s in Finland and were in fact making toilet paper? See a connection? No, no, sorry, I shouldn't say that, especially if you've got a mobile phone from Nokia. Tiffany & Co, that's another name that we're familiar with, and as soon as we hear it, we know that it's all about jewellery. No, it's not. They started out as stationary salespeople. Jewellery wasn't even on the agenda when the Tiffany & Co company started. Abercrombie & Fitch, we know them today because of their clothing, but it wasn't that many years ago that you went to Abercrombie & Fitch to pick up your guns and fishing rods and sporting goods. Those companies have all changed and evolved over time just in order to stay alive. And there would be those who would suggest that the church needs to do the same thing. In order to survive, it needs to change and evolve, move with the times, people would say. And I want to say that that's probably partly true. As a church, we do need to continually look around at the world that we're living in and ensure that we're actually connecting well with people, that we can better reach people in a world that is ever-changing. And that's going to mean that churches will need to change. But unlike Nokia and Tiffany and co, we don't need to move into a completely different business. Our core business as a church remains exactly the same as it has been ever since Jesus rose from the dead. I think it's helpful, especially at the start of a year, to actually take a step back and think about what our church is, what this church exists for, what we should be expecting from this church, how should we seek to be involved in this church, why are you here this morning? So over these next few weeks, we're going to look at those three things. We're looking at the church under three headings, we're saying the people The Bible and the mission. They're the three aspects of the church that we're going to be looking at over these next few weeks. The people, because church is not about buildings or denominations. Church is the people. And we're looking at the Bible because that is how God has clearly communicated with us, how we know who God is and how we know it is that we should respond to God. And we're looking at the mission because God has called his people to a very clear and very specific mission. But we start today by looking at the people. Church is about people. Now, that might sound like a glaringly obvious statement to make, but I'm not sure that it is always obvious in the minds of a lot of people. Uh, We can make a lot of mistakes when coming to understand what the church is, what it exists for and how it ought to operate. Uh, When I was about six or seven, we moved to a little country town uh, up near Mudgee, a place called Kajigong. That was the house that we lived in, and the school where my father was the principal is right next door there. And we attended the Anglican Church, which was directly across the road from uh, where our house was. Our family would very often be the only people in church on a Sunday morning, and We were often running very late. For small children, it was going to be a little tricky getting everybody in there. But that didn't deter the minister. Sometimes we would get there and he would be 15 minutes into the liturgy. He would be the only person in the building, but he would be 15 minutes into the liturgy of the the service for the day. For many people right around the world, church is a ritual to be performed. There have to be certain words spoken or certain songs sung or certain actions performed and then church has taken place and we can all go home. That's not what the Bible says about church. Now there's no doubt that churches are going to look different today to the way that they did 2,000 years ago and what we do here on a Sunday morning is probably going to be different to what some other churches may do ...on a Sunday morning. But to get to the heart of what the church is about... ...you actually need to go right back to the very opening chapters of the Bible. You really need to go back to Genesis chapter 1. See, as Genesis opens, we read about the creation of the world... ...the sun and the moon and the stars and every living thing... ...and the highlight of the creation story... ...the focal point of Genesis chapter 1... ...is the creation of us, Adam and Eve, human beings... Genesis chapter 1 has 766 words in our English Bibles. And 25% of those words are devoted to explaining how and why human beings are here. We're the only part of the creation that is made in God's image. This is what it says in Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. Now, exactly what created in God's image means is something that's been pondered for a very, very long time now. But at the very least, being created in the image of God means that we have been created for relationships. Relationships with each other. But above all, we're created for a relationship with God. You can see that in the creation story. The man and the woman are the only ones who speak directly to God. And not only does God speak to them, but he entrusts them with the responsibility of ruling over the creation, ruling under God's overarching rule of all things. Now, we only get two pages into the story of the Bible and things turn rather sour, as you are aware. The man and the woman choose to reject God, and in so doing, they reject their relationship with God. That's the terrible part of that story. Not simply that they're banished from the garden, this wonderful place that God has created for them, but they're banished from a relationship with God because of their choice. They're cut off from a relationship with God. Now, without wanting to be too simplistic, the rest of the story of the Bible is about God taking the initiative to bring us back into a relationship with him. Now for all of the definitions of church that you might be able to come up with, the most basic element of church is that it's God's people who are meeting together because of their relationship with God. We meet together because we know God. it's not just about meeting together this is what Jesus says for where two or three gather in my name there am I with them do you see what Jesus is saying there this is not some throwaway line from Jesus what Jesus is is telling us tells us in two incredibly important things about church It's that we gather in Jesus' name, we gather in his name because it's only because of Jesus that we can be here. It's only because of what he's done for us through his death and resurrection. And Jesus promises that he will be present here in a real way. We gather on Sunday mornings in in Jesus' name and only because of what Jesus has done – And Jesus is present by the power of the Holy Spirit here with us this morning. He's promised that he would be. If we're gathering in his name, he says, I will be there. A little side note on that for those who may be watching church online. I mean, the question is, is it really church if you're on the lounge in your pyjamas and still eating your breakfast? Well, I think I want to say we should thank God for the technology that enables people to be able to stay in contact, to be able to connect with each other. It's been great in the face of this pandemic, when we were unable to meet face-to-face, to to be able to meet uh, over the internet. But I want to say it is better to be here in person. It is better because we're able to strengthen our relationships with each other, not just hear what happens from the front, But meet together, talk together, encourage one another, strengthen each other. We meet together and we sing together. Well, not at the moment, but very soon I'm hoping we will be singing together again. But we look at the Bible together. But we also talk together to encourage each other and spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now let me backtrack just a bit. Um, I said that... uh, We're called by God, called together as a church, uh, and we happen to meet in this building on a Sunday morning. But the only basis for our meeting is that God has loved us so much that he gave us his one and only son. God is the one who has made it possible for us to be able to meet here. Let's be clear, God doesn't have any need of us. We are the ones who desperately need God. And God graciously enables us to be his people, despite the fact that we're the ones who turned away from him in the first place. Jesus says that there are two Old Testament verses, and we saw it when we looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan, two Old Testament verses that sum up what it is that God would expect from us, that we would love God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength, and that we will love our neighbours as ourselves. Because we know the full extent of God's love, we know the extent that we ought to reflect that love in this world. So, what should happen when we meet here on a Sunday morning? It's one of the strange things to me that when you read through the pages of the New Testament, it actually tells you very little about what ought to be happening when you meet together. I mean, there's no doubt that we should meet together and there are plenty of verses that do encourage us to do that. But when it comes to what we actually do, what doesn't give us an enormous amount of detail. I think there are four things that the Bible seems to suggest they did regularly when they gathered together in the early church. They prayed together. They sang together. I think I've got these up on a screen. Prayed together. They sang together. They looked at the Bible together and the strange one is they actually ate together when they met together. And they do all of those things to express their gratitude to God and to encourage one another and to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We're encouraged a few times in the pages of the Bible to sing. It's no coincidence that the largest book in the Bible is a book of songs, the book of Psalms. It's also not surprising that we don't actually have the music that goes with those psalms because music is going to be a cultural thing. Music is very much a cultural thing. The music that you have will depend on the culture that you're a part of, uh, the time and the place in which you live. One of the things that always amuses me when we go to Zimbabwe is hearing the Zimbabweans sing Uh, they sing with an incredible enthusiasm. In fact, I've got a little clip here. Uh, There's also a little bit of dancing that takes place in this, and if you look closely, you might identify some people. It's quite an amazing thing to be a part of that on a Sunday morning and that's pretty much an average Sunday morning at one of their churches. But one of the things that really surprises me is that occasionally they have old English hymns that were given to them by the missionaries who established the church in Malawi and Zimbabwe in the mid-1800s. And they can take a sombre old hymn and make it more boring than you could ever imagine. I mean, it's just insane to me that they can sing like that when they're singing in their own language, but they can take these old hymns and just suck the life out of them. (laughs) Singing can do a number of things for us as Christians. Uh, It enables us to praise God, uh, it enables us to, to dwell on and reflect on God's word as, it, as it's presented to us in songs as well. And we can sing together to be reminded of great biblical truths, to be encouraged in our relationship with God. So another thing that Christians did together before and we should still be doing is looking at what God's word says. I mean, that should be the thing that's actually central to our meeting. Uh, I'm not going to read these out, but here's a a few verses that I just grabbed that talk about the importance of actually meeting together. Uh, But the one that I wanted to focus on was this one. This is what Paul says to Timothy. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful uh, careful instruction. It's not hard to see that Paul thinks that looking at God's word ought to be a priority for Christians. And that's why we place a high priority on Bible study groups, on opening up the Bible here on Sunday morning to hear what it says To allow it to shape our lives and our attitudes and our values. Allowing God's word to correct us and to rebuke us and to encourage us. Reuben's going to talk more about that, even though I've just stolen all of his thunder. He's going to talk more about that next week as we look at what the Bible says. And the strange thing is that Christians also eat together. kind of seems a bit funny in some ways, but it's amazing how many times it comes up in the Bible. And the great image of heaven that Jesus wants to present is a banquet, people getting together and sharing in a meal. Even something as simple as morning tea here at church is important, not because they have Tim Tams or the coffee's really great. It's important because, like Millie said, we have a chance to sit around a table and to find out how each other are going, to encourage people, to support people, to ask those meaningful questions, to talk about what you've just heard from the Bible, to encourage others in their faith, to have a better idea of how you can be praying for them in this coming week. At the very heart, the church is people. People who've been created by God, people who are loved by God, people who have been made for a relationship with God and with others. I'm sure that there's much more that I could say to encourage you to think more about this, but I'm just going to leave you with these words, which challenge me every time I hear them. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Juliana is going to pray for us. Dear Lord, thank you that you are with us today. As we go from this place, Help us to make the most of every opportunity to encourage one another and spur one another on to love and good deeds. Give us the desire to long to meet with one another, to share life with one another and to look at the Bible together. Thank you for Luke and Simon who teach us so clearly and for those we meet with in our Bible study groups. Help us this year to be an encouragement to one another, to pray for one another, and to love and care for one another deeply. We pray these things in the precious name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.